and welcome back to Trenis Magnus, Jab's Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I do is release a bunch of episodes of Trenis Magnus, Jab's Reality lately, because if you look back at the schedule and all the stuff that I've released lately, a goodly bit of it is Trenis Magnus, Jab's Reality. And basically what Trenis Magnus, Jab's Reality is, for those of you who haven't really figured this out yet, it's basically just an irregular feature of my show. It's just something that I do once in a while. My <clears throat> my main show is actually called Trenis Magnus Punches Reality, and that is released on every Tuesday. But Trenis Magnus Jabs Reality, this is something that I do, like I say, irregularly. There's no real schedule to it or anything like that. And basically, I guess as the mood strikes me, if there's something that I want to talk about that doesn't easily fit into an episode of Trinus Magnus Punches Reality, well, I can just release one of these, and here you go. Now, in relation to that, uh, one one of you listeners, and Curtis, I'm speaking to you, but one of you listeners recently posted on the Trinus Magnus Punches Reality Facebook page, this is dated August the 2nd, and the member of the group who posted this, this is Curtis King, a listener of my show, I, I'm not kidding, guys, since like the early, early, early days, right? He's been around and listening for a very long time. And what Curtis basically said is, wow, just wow. So I happened upon the TM Jabs reality episode concerning your opinion of The Force Awakens. And all I can say is thank you, thank you, thank you. I no longer feel ostracized by the general public for having anything other than an, than an orgasmically positive response to this film. Finally, someone has crystallized so many of my thoughts so eloquently and so much more. Like the person in a hemorrhoid commercial who can ride a bike again, I feel normal once more. I also want to thank you for the epic Harry Potter slash Batman movie series. That kept me company during a couple of long business trips these last couple of weeks. And as a follow-up comment, Curtis also wrote, While we're on the subject, unless I've missed it, I would love to hear your thoughts on Rogue One, which I felt exceeded Force Awakens and even some of the other uh, Star Wars films in many ways. And then Curtis followed that up almost right away with, actually not right away, actually this was a couple of days later, followed that up with another comment saying guess I'll retract this request uh, for you to potentially consider the possibility of maybe deciding to record your thoughts on Rogue One. I had not yet listened to your Star Wars Day podcast from earlier this year and so did not fully realize the extent of your disdain for all things Disney Star Wars and that at the time of that recording you had yet to watch the movie nor had any burning desire to. Lesson learned. And then Curtis added I'm not sure I agree with your last statement. Basically, what I told him was, there's a target demographic for these movies that's just not me. So, Curtis said, I'm not sure I agree with your last statement. Warning, this will be a bit lengthy, so bear with me. That's what she said. Um, Because you are a fan of Star Wars, those movies are most certainly intended for you. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't suck or at least disappoint, e.g. the prequels, but... I would not let Force Awakens cloud your judgment on future films. The fact that they have uh, different directors for each film, and he just kind of goes on from there. And basically where he finished up uh, his uh, Facebook comment here is, 
So, at the end of the day, to each their own. However, should you decide to give Rogue One a shot, you can catch it on Netflix, or I'd glad gladly offer to loan you my Blu-ray DVD combo pack to view at your leisure. My only caveat is that if you decide to view it, I want to hear your thoughts. Good, bad, or indifferent. And so, today's episode is going to be about Rogue One. Now, a lot of you are probably already thinking, Bit Magni, Bit Magni, you started off this episode with music from The Force Awakens, so why aren't you... So why are you talking about Rogue One? Well, the reason for that is because I watched Rogue One, but I really don't feel much inclined to buy the Rogue One score just so I can use it for this episode. So you get to listen to The Force Awakens. You'll take it and you'll like it. So anyway, but basically the reason I'm doing this, and uh, again, Curtis, you're, you, were sort of, you were sort of the catalyst for this. But I don't want you to feel like you're somehow being singled out because honestly, there was a fair amount of demand for people to say, or, or from people for me to say, what I think of Rogue One. And for the longest time, I hadn't seen it, and so it seemed kind of eh, bad taste, maybe, to comment a, a, upon something because you know, if I've if I've taken all but a religious vow not to see something, but then I go and comment on it anyway, well. What kind of sense is that supposed to make, right? So, anyway. And so that was basically, you know, my thinking. And in fact, may actually have stayed that way, but Curtis, you, you sort of... I don't mean this in a mean way, but you, you kind of called me out, you know? I'm, basically what you said was, look, dude, I get the fact that you aren't really interested in, in these newer Star Wars movies and whatever, that's cool, but you're slagging them off anyway, so... You know, if you're going to slag them off, can you at least slag them off in an informed way? Or lacking that, just not talk, you know, about it. So, anyway, that's basically what I what I I took from this post, Curtis. You know, again, not in a mean way or anything like that, but I, I just kind of got the idea that, you know, you kind of wanted me to be a little bit more consistent with all of this. So, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, Curtis, I thought that was a completely reasonable request, you know? And so what I decided to do, as you suggested, was log into to Netflix and watch the show, or not the show, watch the movie, and basically just get right up and give you my honest opinion about it, all right? So pretty much that's what I'm going to be doing today. So not in any kind of great detail or, or anything like that. I just kind of want to hit the high points of what Rogue One is and why it just didn't really work for me, right? Now, I'm not trying to, you know, poke fun or or make light or anything like that of the uh, reaction that Scott Rifen had to uh, the news that the expanded universe, the pre-Disney expanded universe, was gonna was gonna get nuked and and, and all of that. But there is kind of an element uh, at play here where. I'm trying to think of like the best way to put it. basically as I've said in I think several episodes now I kind of have a, a complicated relationship maybe is the best way to put it with the pre-Disney Star Wars expanded universe you know all the comics all the novels all the video games and all that stuff I've got a kind of complicated relationship with that stuff especially the novels because yeah, some of those novels were really good, and I would never say otherwise. But the great majority of those novels are just kind of unreadable pap. And 
really the major exception to that is the entirety of the new Jedi Order storyline. And then the odd hardback or paperback here and there. You know, those were really, at least in my opinion, for me, for the the kind of thing that I enjoy, that really was the best of, at least in novel form, those things really were the best of the Star Wars Expanded Universe as it was. And one of the one of the the books that I enjoyed the very most was the AC Crispin Han Solo trilogy. And you know, I've reached out to somebody, I won't say who, but I've reached out to somebody in uh the Two True Freaks podcasting community and we've we've kind of made loose plans to at some point or another talk about the AC Crispin Han Solo trilogy. And the reason for that is because no, that trilogy of books is not perfect. Okay? I would never say otherwise. But those books were still really good and some of my very favorite of the entire old school expanded universe, right? And so really liked those books. I thought they were a great read, especially the first book. Now, after you get into, you know, once you get into the the second book and then going forward, there were certain stylistic and I guess kind of mechanical constraints that Anne Crispin had to kind of work under. And so maybe not quite as good as the first book, but really the entire trilogy is really good, especially when you understand that there were limitations to what Crispin was allowed to do, you know? And so not to spoil too much of anything, but the the third the third uh, Crispin uh, Han Solo book it basically ends with basically how the Rebel Alliance ever got their hands on the Death Star plans at the beginning of Star Wars seventy seven and basically what all happened with that and that is a major part of the entire trilogy I mean that's really the culmination of what exactly happened, uh, you know, to Han and to certain other characters, one character in particular, throughout uh, the trilogy of books, and that the mission to steal the Death Star plans was a, was kind of like the fulfillment of all of that. And there's some, basically, there's a lot of character development that goes into that, and some plot stuff, but mostly character development, you know? And I liked, again, I don't want to go too far away from Rogue One here, but I... I rather liked that the the Star Wars saga, or at least the original trilogy, was kind of set up, if you want to see it this way, was kind of set up at the end of the, uh, basically at the end of Rebel Dawn, the third book and the uh, Crispin Han Solo trilogy, right? And like I say, this isn't incidental to to the, the Crispin, uh, Han Solo trilogy at all. I mean, like this is like I say, like the, this is the f- the uh, fulfillment of some very major character p- uh, uh, bits and uh, plot uh, uh, plot bits and all of these other things. You know, this is like the fulfillment of that. It's you know, it's not. I I, I don't want to go so far as to say it's like inseparable from the story, but it is the logical endpoint for a lot of different things. And so I'm trying not to get too spoilery here for those of you who haven't read it. But basically, you know, you, I, I guess you could see it as sort of like a variation on Rogue One because the basic setup of it is very similar, you know? And so 
if you could just imagine different characters doing things kind of similar to what we saw in Rogue One, that's basically, you know, what happened. And that's really the main reason why Rogue One just doesn't really play as well for me. And it's just already kind of had not a great version, but I had a version of how the Rebel Alliance ever got their hands on the Death Star plans to begin with. I already had a version of that in my head. Excuse me. I don't know why my throat gets dry like this, but sometimes it does. But I already had a version of that in my head, you know, and it was, you know, basically what we saw as much as we saw of it. But it was basically what we saw in the Anne Crispin novel, Rebel Dawn. Right. So I I guess I don't I never thought that I needed something more than that. And in fact, you know what? Come to that. I never really needed to know how the Rebel Alliance ever stole the Death Star plans in the first place. I mean, yeah, I guess it's kind of interesting to know. You know, it's interesting trivia. But to me, it's incidental. You know, I, I don't know. It's because, I mean, you know, when you really think about it, the, the Death Star plans in A New Hope, they're, they're kind of a MacGuffin. And it's, they're not really important unto themselves. It's the fact that they drive the plot of Star Wars 77 and all the stuff that happens with it and everything that goes on with the characters. And that's the importance of them, really. And, but they're not really important unto themselves, right? And so it, it's kind of like the letters of transit in Casablanca where does it really matter where um, I think the actor's name is Peter Laurie. Does it really matter how Peter Lorre got his hands on the letters of transit in Casablanca? I mean, we get a little bit of that story. Basically enough to make it plausible that he would have the letters of transit, but otherwise not much more than that. Or in Pulp Fiction, where Marcellus Wallace's briefcase is it's basic it basically has to get re reclaimed by uh, Jules and Vincent. And the reason I think why we never see what's inside of the briefcases because it ultimately doesn't matter. You know, there's something important in there that Marcellus Wallace needs to have, but whatever it is, it doesn't matter, right? What matters is the I guess the the character arc that it that the that reclaiming the briefcase sends a, a Jules Winfield on, right? That's the important thing, you know, but the briefcase itself isn't really important, you know? And same kind of a thing, to tie it all back, same kind of a thing with the Death Star plans. To me, it doesn't really matter how the Rebel Alliance ever stole the Death Star plans in the first place. The fact is, they stole them, they have them, and Darth Vader is basically tearing up the galaxy in Star Wars 77 trying to get them back. That's what's important, you know? But how the, this this process ever got started is... It's kind of beside the point, you know? In fact, I would say it's almost kind of missing the point. And so, you know, like I say, I'm willing to look the other way with that when it comes to the the A.C. Crispin Rebel Dawn book, just because it relates so much to character, you know? There's so much that gets, you know, fulfilled with that. And so, you know, like I say, I mean, I guess it's nice to know. Interesting trivia. Don't really need it, you know? And now we have an entire fucking movie about this plot point that, honestly, I don't really care much about. So, I guess, strike one. Strike two, 
just for this to even exist, it pretty much validates and requires the the decision to delete well not just the the AC Crispin Han Solo trilogy out of the EU it requires that that not be that the AC Crispin Han Solo trilogy not have any kind of canonicity to it at all right and so i'm getting something that i don't especially care about strike 1 and it it comes at the expense of something that i do really care about which is the AC Crispin Han Solo trilogy. So that's strike two. And then I guess, you know, getting into uh, strike three, we get computer-generated likenesses of... And by the way, guys, in case you haven't seen uh, Rogue One yet, I'm going to be getting into spoilers, at least somewhat. So just, you know, be be aware of that. But anyway, we get this... We, we get uh, computer-generated likenesses, number one, of Peter Cushing as Grand Moff Tar- uh, Tarkin. And it's kind of funny in that the likeness itself, it's actually pretty well done. You know, um, from a technical standpoint, I mean, this really does look like Peter Cushing. And the reason um, the reason that's kind of impressive, at least to me, is because Peter Cushing has been dead for a really long time. So it's not like anybody has the option of scanning his face and basically building a computer-generated model based upon that. He's been gone for a long time, so all of this had to be done with reference to uh, movies that he's made or off of uh, uh, still photographs and, and, and things like that. And just from a technical standpoint, it's, I must say, you know, this is an amazingly well-done likeness of Peter Cushing. <clears throat> Having said that, it's just not convincing, you know? And, you know, it's... There's just something about it that seems off, you know, and I mean in a in a, in a distracting uh, type of way. You know, I don't understand what the harm would have been in recasting uh, Grand Moff Tarkin and replacing him with somebody else. <clears throat> and we know that such a thing is possible because we saw a pretty convincing uh, uh, Tarkin lookalike at the end of Revenge of the Sith. And it's not a major moment in Revenge of the in Revenge of the Sith, but if you catch it, you catch it, you know. And it's played by a flesh and blood actor who has this unfucking canny resemblance to Peter Cushing. And so, anyway, it's <clears throat> it's just I don't know. It just it seems a little gimmicky, and it's not like I think it's it's bad taste or anything like that. I'm not trying to like make a a moral argument here i'm making a technical argument i don't think that the illusion is very persuasive so there's that the computer generated model of i guess 18 or 19 ish year old carrie fisher oddly enough that is a lot more successful and i can't help thinking that it might be because carrie fisher at least at that time was still alive to provide an actual source for this uh computer generated 3d model and so she was actually there, she was around, she was alive, she was available, she did this as far as I know. And so I assume that's why it looks so convincing uh, for Carrie Fisher in ways that Peter Cushing, it's just not as, as convincing. And so, look, I don't know. The other thing, though, is if you're a fan of the prequels, and honestly, I mean, for me, 
as I've said many times, it's not it's not as easy as saying, yes, I like the prequels or no, I don't like the prequels. It's anything in life that you really, really are invested in. The answer is always a lot more complicated than a than a simple yes or no, you know. So anyway, but if you are a prequel fan, you know, well, I guess this is good news for you because this is that basically Rogue One really does. It really does a lot to enfranchise uh, the prequels as being real films. These really do exist. And one of the um, one of the conspiracy theories that I was kind of floating around for a while there was the possibility that, you know, quite apart from uh, rebooting the EU, I thought it was completely possible that Disney might actually choose at some point to reboot the prequels, you know, and there's an entire section of the fan base that would probably approve of that, you know, or lacking that they're at least not militantly opposed to it, you know, but the way that it is right now, it looks like that's probably not going to happen because Rogue One features what's her name from all of those deleted scenes in Revenge of the Sith as as uh, Mon Mothma and also Jimmy Smith's uh, playing uh, Bail Organa. And so they're kind of interesting choices if if Disney is planning to reboot the prequels why would you include specifically those actors? And so what I what I'm inferring from all of this is that Disney will not reboot the prequels. And so that's not good and it's not bad, it's just true, I guess. You know, but I at least wanted to throw that out there that if the prequels are a source of uh pain and consternation for you, well, Rogue One, it's going to have some kind of uh difficult moments for you depending upon how sensitive you are to seeing Mon Mothma and Bail Organa. But anyway, moving right along, there's a lot that's been said about uh, the cameo appearances that Darth Vader has in Rogue One. And basically what, what I assume we're supposed to take from that scene when he's in the Bacta tank is that the reason that Darth Vader is such a, is such a, a badass supreme at uh, at the end of the movie is because he spent all of this time immersed in Bacta, just floating around, and that's what apparently re-energizes his Force mojo somehow, you know? And I don't know. I mean, I try not to to get too upset if movie studios or, or whoever, they want to throw me a bone. Because who among us as Star Wars fans objects to seeing more of Darth Vader, you know? But when people say that this seems like unnecessary fan service, I can kind of see where they're coming from, you know? I don't know if I completely agree with their idea that it's bad, but I can kind of see where they're coming from, you know? But, I mean, I guess my way of rationalizing it is it's more Darth Vader, and to me, almost by definition, that's a good thing, you know? And so... What I do kind of struggle with, though, is this concept of uh, Bacta somehow being what enables Darth Vader to go uh, full crouching tiger hidden dragon at the end of the movie where he's uh, chopping people up and he's throwing people around and he's just Mr. Badass Extreme in Rogue One. But in Star Wars 77, when we see him 
uh, role with Obi-Wan Kenobi again. He's a little bit more uh, stiff and, and off his game and, and all of that. And, well, the explanation for that is because he's been using a shitload of Bacta lately, and that's why he's so tough in Rogue One, but he hadn't been using enough Bacta by the time he duped it out with Obi-Wan in Star Wars 77, and so that's why there's a disparity between the two. It's just... Whatever. I don't know. I just... It, to me, it just kind of complicates something that should that should have been really easy to begin with, you know? Maybe don't include Darth Vader in the movie. If you can't find a way around that, just fucking don't include him in the movie. Or, lacking that, I guess maybe what you could do is put him in a, a situation where the stiff and, and kind of rusty uh, Darth Vader that we saw in Star Wars 77 could legitimately wreck shop on uh, on on people but not necessarily like an entire corridor full of heavily armed rebels that are determined to blow the shit out of everything you know i don't know there's got to be a, a a happy middle ground between the two and as filmmakers to me it's kind of your job to fucking find it you know find it so i don't know whatever one of the things though that i did kind of like about the movie is that in the original trilogy and in the deleted scenes from Revenge of the Sith, the basically what what we see is a very sort of black and white type of situation where the Empire is all evil and it's all bad and all of this. And the Rebel Alliance, they're they're all good and they're all they're all saintly and, and everything. And what we see in Rogue One is to me it's a little bit more true of Star Wars because guys, I've never viewed Star Wars as you know, good guys versus bad guys, where the good guys wear white hats and the bad guys wear black hats. I, guys, I have never had that view of Star Wars, ever. All right? I mean, it's. I guess it's like it's superficially true of Star Wars 77, but starting with Empire Strikes Back and then going forward, we're constantly meeting heroes that have dark sides, and we're also meeting villains that have heroism in them, you know? We're lacking that some kind of nobility to them, you know? And so this idea that, you know, Star Wars is just good old-fashioned, good versus evil. Guys, I don't know what movies you're watching because I don't see that, you know? I see very gray and very morally complex characters trying to make the best they can of a really shitty situation. That's my view of Star Wars. And we get that in, I think, a, a pretty decent quantities in Rogue One where the Rebel Alliance, they're not necessarily squeaky clean. And the Empire, you get the idea that, you know, some of these some of these Imperial types, maybe not the Sith quite as much, but some of these Imperial types, they're just, they, they are people who have been forced into a bad situation and they're trying to make the best of it, you know? But it's not quite so simple as, as to say the Empire is all evil and the Rebel Alliance, they're all heroic. You know, that's way overly simplistic. And honestly, that's been something, that's been a gripe, not a major gripe, but I guess sort of like a minor little quibble that I've had about the Star Wars trilogy for a pretty long time where, you know, you have these characters that are so morally complex on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's like it doesn't seem to affect their respective organizations very much. You know, yeah, Luke is a very morally complicated person, especially in The Empire Strikes Back, but it's like, the Rebel Alliance is mostly comprised of heroes and saints and stuff. And yeah, Darth Vader, he's got he's got a good part to him, I guess. 
but he's mostly in an organization that's completely evil and they're dedicated to evil and they and they they have lunch with satan and all of this and you know winning life is anything ever that simple and so you know i i just kind of like that aspect of rogue one where you know the rebel alliance is not necessarily always on on the up and up morally speaking and you know the empire they're not necessarily totally made up of of people who have sold their souls to the devil you know and i i kind of like that the it's 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 life guys nothing is ever as black and white as as we might want it to be so to be fair to the movie to the filmmakers to the cast to the writers all those people that i thought was some really insightful writing you know and i i enjoyed that aspect of it so anyway so like i say i mean yeah there are some enjoyable parts to this movie and you know one of the things guys i'm gonna say that i really do admire about rogue one is that everybody involved not least of which being the money people but everybody involved went into this thing with the understanding that this thing is one and done the entire nature of rogue one and the story that gets told here is it basically begins the story and ends the story there's really not a way to make a sequel that has all these characters in it just because well i'm just going to say it they freaking die in this movie right all of the main characters all of the supporting characters everybody basically anybody that isn't in uh some other star wars movie they all pretty much die right here and even bail organa dies in star wars 77 so you know a good chunk of everybody that we see all of the different characters that we see in this movie die in this movie or in bail organa's case they die in star wars 77 so not very long later you know and if this movie was a hit as it was then there's really not a way to capitalize on that with a sequel you know so that's pretty brave in 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 today's world where you need to have as many sequels as you possibly fucking can and you know sequel 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 well there can't really be a sequel to this with all of these characters just because like i say they're all dead and i do kind of ad- admire the the um i don't know uh the ethic of all of that you know where yeah this movie made like over a billion dollars worldwide but Disney can't make a sequel and they knew that going in and I just I I respect them for that you know the the ethic of that you know it so anyway so like I say you know there were good parts of of this movie I enjoyed aspects of it I enjoyed elements but I don't know I'm I'm kind of left more or less right where I started where I just don't really think these movies are for me, you know? I mean, because at the end of the day, this is not a, this is not a story that I desperately needed to be told. And if I did, it's kind of already been told in Rebel Dawn, the book that I, that I went on at great length about. And I don't really think that I need like a follow-up, you know? So anyway, so again, Curtis, I hope you don't take this as me being mean or, or, or disrespectful or anything like that, because, you know, I wouldn't be disrespectful to you to your face or behind your back or publicly, you know, uh, on one of my shows or something like that. I, I would never do that to you. So I, I, I don't want you to feel as though, you know, um, I'm, I'm giving you the finger or, or, or being disrespectful or anything like that. But, you know, I, you, you did ask, and I just want you to understand, you know, I do appreciate the recommendation and I even followed through on it. 
but you know this just kind of cemented me in in my view that these movies just really aren't for me but having said all of that guys this movie like i said before made over a billion friggin dollars worldwide all right so guys i'm just some asshole with a microphone okay clearly my opinion is the minority opinion here so if you're listening to this and you're mad at me and you think i'm just a big meanie head just keep in mind I'm one guy that didn't enjoy this movie, but a billion-ish dollars worth of ticket buyers obviously loved it. So you tell me who, who won that argument in the end, right? So anyway, like I say, I'm just one guy. Don't give it any more credibility than that. But I guess what I want from Star Wars, this movie just didn't really give it to me, you know? So whatever. And honestly, what I want from Star Wars anymore is just... Star Wars 77, Empire, and Jedi. That's pretty much it, really. So, anyway, but like I say, if you enjoyed the movie, that's great. In some ways, actually, I kind of envy you. But this just wasn't really for me. So, but like, like, like I actually, you know what? Before I close out, there is actually one other thing that I, that I want to mention. This story idea came from John Knoll. Now, for those of you who don't know, John Knoll is a visual effects uh, supervisor at Industrial Light and Magic, and he did a crap ton of work on, among other movies, the, the uh, Star Wars prequels. And so he's got a long and storied history with Star Wars as a saga, and the fact that you know he had his thinking cap on like this and, and all that, I think it's, it, it's, it, it's cool that apparently... Lucasfilm is so democratic that even visual effects supervisors that, let's face it, maybe they don't really deserve a spot at the table when it comes to creative ideas and input and all that, they still get listened to, you know, when they when they have a good idea. So anyway, I'm actually very impressed by that. And kudos to Lucasfilm and Disney for hearing John Noel out because, you know, it's like, for anyone who's like really interested in, in the core idea of what Rogue One is, well, this has got to be a very satisfying thing for John Knoll to know that this many people loved his his idea for the movie. So anyway, so kudos to them. So anyway, like I say, though, I, guys, I don't love my chances of ever seeing another Star Wars movie in theaters. I mean, I guess never say never. But I just don't know if it's ever going to happen. So, but anyway, if you enjoyed the movie, just... Hopefully I didn't rain on your parade too much, but anyway. So I think that's pretty much it for me this time. So bye, everybody. I will see you in the next episode of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. See you then.